This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is September 2nd, 2019. On this day in 1946, Dan White was born in California. As an adult, Dan White was elected to San Francisco's Board of Supervisors. But less than a year into his term, the upstanding statesman shocked a nation when he murdered Mayor George Moscone and fellow supervisor Harvey Milk. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. Today, we're going back to September 2nd, 1946, the day that future murderer Dan White was born. Dan began his life in an ordinary way, like any ordinary person. Few suspected he'd grow up to kill America's first openly gay elected official. We'll begin during the day in a coastal California city as his mother rushes to the hospital, fighting off increasingly severe labor pains. Mrs. White tried to focus on her breathing. The baby was coming, and he or she wasn't waiting. She had to get to a hospital, and fast. She'd been preparing and hoping for this day for nine months. Like any good Catholic woman, Mrs. White strove to be a dedicated wife, an upstanding citizen, and a loving mother. She and her husband already had one child together, but now their family was growing once more. It was a day Mrs. White had looked forward to, a day marked by excitement and anticipation. But now, as she felt contractions rack her body, Mrs. White was overcome by dread. She'd soon be swallowed in the pain and anxiety during the frantic rush to the hospital. As contractions coursed through her, Mrs. White tried to distract herself Think about the future that lay before her son or daughter, the quaint preschool in their neighborhood, the church where they'd study the Bible, the changing world where old values were replaced with free love and drug use and vices. No, better not to focus on that. At least her husband was at her side. Most of the men were still abroad, cleaning up Europe after showing those Axis baddies what a real American fighting spirit looked like. But on that September morning, she was grateful her husband had stayed stateside. She needed all the support she could get for the coming birth. Not that Mrs. White was scared of the pain. The agony was worth it for a healthy baby, but that didn't mean Mrs. White was looking forward to the tearing, pressing, all-encompassing pangs that she'd already been through once before. 
As she approached the hospital, Mrs. White passed a group of men loitering outside a theater. She knew about these sorts, men who kissed and had sex with other men. Those types, gay men, were most likely discharged soldiers. Mrs. White knew how those sorts tended to enlist, only to get caught and ejected from the army. Rejected by Uncle Sam and too ashamed to return to their families, outed gay men were discharged through San Francisco and then settled in urban areas around California, living openly. Sure, occasional police raids and public beatings scared some back to the shadows, but there were still plenty of out and open gay men. Just one of the signs that the world was changing and fast. Once more, Mrs. White found herself wondering about how her baby's world would be different from her own. She worried about her ability to keep a child safe when gay men like those on the corner were always pushing for more rights, more visibility, more, more, more. As if on cue, Mrs. White felt another contraction, like the baby was weighing in on the issues she mentally debated. How to explain such things to a growing, curious child? Like many Catholics, Mrs. White believed that gay men were sinners. But she'd also been taught that God loved all his children. She wasn't sure what to make of the contradiction. She could never quite decide if she should condemn these sorts of men or just leave them to live their lives. After all, she considered herself a good progressive. She supported black rights, and of course she'd raise her child to reject racism. But the matter of gay men seemed much more complicated. Mrs. White supposed the right thing to do was to try to love those men and pray for them. But deep down, she mostly wished they'd keep their sexual predilections to themselves. Here she was, clenching her teeth through these contractions, keeping her screams to herself as best she could. Why did they have to advertise their lifestyles so openly, discomforting good, upstanding Christian women like herself? Couldn't they all just go away somewhere to stay out of sight and out of mind? Some things were meant to be private, like childbirth. She ran the last few steps through the hospital doors, her husband supporting her. The baby was coming. It was clear to the greeting nurse what sort of state Mrs. White was in. In no time at all, she was set up in a clean, white room. Her husband was ushered off to another part of the hospital. A birth was no place for a man. Instead, doctors appeared at Mrs. White's bedside to guide her through the hard part. Mrs. White had forgotten how much this process hurt. She pushed and screamed and felt like she was being ripped apart. All the while, she cried and cursed and reminded herself that all the pain and the tearing and the pressure was worth it for the perfect, healthy baby she'd birth. And really, she'd suffer through a labor twice as painful and difficult if that's what it took. Mrs. White couldn't protect her child forever or spare it from all of life's pains. She couldn't even guarantee the babe would be born into a good and wholesome world. But she'd suffer for her baby, scream in pain for it, 
and then give herself to the role of motherhood to raise the child to become an upstanding man or woman. That was worth any pain. Mrs. White felt tears spring to her eyes as the nurses laid the squalling babe in her arms. He was a healthy boy. As she held him, Mrs. White noted how her son grasped her finger with a firm, strong grip. He'd be a fine boy and an upstanding man, that was for sure. Soon enough, Mr. White joined his wife and met his son for the first time. Exhausted but overcome with joy, Mrs. White displayed her child to her husband. She'd done well. She could tell from the look on her spouse's face that he too was overcome with love. Mrs. White nursed and napped and didn't let her son out of her sight. She'd forgotten just how powerful that instantaneous sense of love and devotion for her child could be. She didn't want to let go of the boy for even a moment. When the nurses came to weigh him and listen to his heart, Mrs. White watched, sharp-eyed, protective. When it came time to sign the birth certificate, the nurses asked Mr. and Mrs. White what the name should be. She responded without hesitation, Daniel James White. Coming up, we'll discuss the complicated and controversial life of Dan White. Now back to the story. On September 2nd, 1946, Dan White was born. Today, White is famous for murdering Harvey Milk, the nation's first openly gay male elected official on November 27, 1978. While Dan's violent outburst seemed to be a political assassination, most historians believe his act was unrelated to Harvey's sexual orientation. His story was more personal and more complicated than that. Dan White's personality was shaped by the conservative Catholic values he learned from his parents. Like his parents, he felt split between his progressive attitudes regarding race and his conservative religious beliefs about sexual orientation. He even had several openly gay friends, who Dan reportedly only ever treated with respect. But other acquaintances noted Dan's personal, hateful attitudes, which he sometimes spoke about publicly. After serving a tour in Vietnam, Dan worked as a police officer and a firefighter. He became a local hero in San Francisco and was able to leverage his reputation to win a seat on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors on November 3, 1977. There, he served alongside the progressive mayor George Moscone and gay rights activist Harvey Milk. Harvey was the first openly gay man to ever be elected to political office, whereas Dan had run on a platform committed to restoring San Francisco to traditional values. The pair seemed destined to clash. Instead, during their term together, Dan and Harvey built a complicated friendship. Although Dan had made several public homophobic comments on the campaign trail, he supported Harvey's gay rights ordinances. The two men had lunch together regularly, and Harvey even attended a baptism ceremony when Dan's wife gave birth. 
But the hometown hero wasn't cut out for political life. After he lost a key vote, Dan was sucked into a spiral of depression. He grew sullen, emotional, and broke his normally healthy diet to binge on junk food. White's family and friends noticed his change in demeanor and wild mood swings, but nobody anticipated how severe his erratic behavior would become. One day in mid-November, Dan quit his city supervisor position without warning. Even his wife was blindsided. Less than a week later, he tried to rescind his resignation only for Mayor Moscone to appoint another person to Dan's vacant position. This sent Dan spiraling even further downwards. Dan's bizarre conduct culminated on November 27, 1978, when he broke into City Hall and murdered Mayor Moscone and City Supervisor Milk. Whether or not Dan intended the murders to have political implications, the deaths of Milk and Moscone sent ripples across America. Dan's act of senseless violence became a flashpoint in the gay rights movement. Demonstrations began the day of Harvey Milk's death, and tensions only increased when Dan's trial began. He posed a diminished capacity defense, arguing that his depression was so severe he wasn't culpable for his own behavior. He detailed how his behavior had changed during his city supervisor term. Because he cited his junk food binges, his case soon became infamous as the Twinkie defense, even though Dan's diet was only a small part of his case. Ultimately, Dan was found not guilty of first-degree murder charges for killing two prominent political figures in cold blood. He was condemned to only seven years, eight months in prison for voluntary manslaughter. The light sentence launched a massive San Francisco demonstration. The protests degenerated into a riot and altered the course of local politics as well as gay rights activism. Dan White served only five years of his sentence, but when he got out of prison, he found that his life was ruined. Infamous for his murders, Dan was a social pariah, incapable of making friends or finding a steady job. On October 21, 1985, Dan White died of suicide when he piped carbon monoxide into his car at his San Francisco home. After Dan White died, the impacts of his actions lived on. His senseless violence against Mayor George Moscone and Harvey Milk spurred the gay rights campaign and other progressive movements to greater visibility. He left his mark on history in a way that his mother, Mrs. White, could never have anticipated when she gave birth to him on September 2nd, 1946. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on Dan White and his murder of Harvey Milk and George Moscone, check out our episode of Assassinations, which covers the details of the crime and its aftermath. 
Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 